One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thursday the 2nd of January 1969, at 10.30am, Victoria Station, through the turnstile, Alec Yannick departed the train, blending in amongst the families, shoppers and commuters. Dressed in a once neat, now slightly shabby suit, although it was bitterly cold outside, he wiped a bead of sweat from his furrowed brow with a dirt-sodden hand, as pain ripped across his face. His injured back was arched and aching, as with his one good eye red raw with exhaustion and tears. In his arms, he grappled with an unwieldy cardboard box, which was clutched to his chest. Weighing 12 pounds or 5.4 kilos, roughly the same as a sack of spuds, Alec Yannick's was a man out of his depth, as although he was famously meticulous when it came to researching military aircraft, faced with the task of disposing of a dead body, or at least part of a dead body, he hadn't a clue what to do or how to do it. I wanted to get rid of it quickly, Alec confessed. So I got the train to Mitcham. I went to some woods near there and realised I couldn't scrape a hole with my hands. So he returned, still carrying the head. With the box too heavy to carry home, he popped it in a 24-hour locker, number 424, and locked it. I was glad to get rid of it. I felt it was evil. But he knew he would have to return to it soon. The police mistakenly believed that the murderer of Eleanor Essence was a monster. An experienced serial killer or a sadistic psychopath owing to the neat and meticulous way he had disposed of her body. Only it wasn't, as being nothing more than trial and error. Alec Yannix made many mistakes, and the first he had already made. As Alec returned to his gloomy ground floor flat at Kendall Villas, through the darkness and the distinct lack of festive cheer, Gone was the familiar shrill as Nora barked at her slave. 
as although now mercifully quiet, he couldn't savor its silence. As between the twin beds, his girlfriend lay, minus her head. So how did he get to this point? On Sunday the 29th of December 1968, having bludgeoned Nora to death with a broken air pistol, I didn't know what to do. So for four days, he did nothing. He went to work. He did his job. He came back home. And with nobody having reported a missing, as promised, neither did he. Each night he slept in the armchair in the sitting room, as slowly her decaying headless remains lay oozing. On Thursday the 2nd of January 1969, Alec took two days off. Having been Nora Skivvy for months, no one at McDonald Publishing queried this, as they believed she was still making his sad little life hell. That day, I decided the only solution was to dismember and bury her body. Something he had no experience of not being a monster. I couldn't find the nerve, so I bought a bottle of vodka. Told myself, do it now or you never will, and drank half of the bottle. I don't usually drink. I went up to Nora's body. I shut her eyes, and with the hacksaw, I cut off her head. I felt sick. I vomited next to the body. But with her murder as unplanned as her disposal, he didn't have anything useful to wrap her in. So being frantic, upset and exhausted, he grabbed what was to hand, like a shirt, a woolen cardigan and a cotton tea towel, not even once thinking about how quick the skull would decompose. The next day, things were different. His rational brain had kicked in. So having glugged back the last slugs of the vodka, I cut up the rest of her body. He began by disarticulating the hips and the knees. As even with a basic knowledge of biology, everybody knows that once the joints are separated, it would be a lot easier than sawing through bone. After that, like a manual, it was just a case of repetition. I cut off the arms, again disarticulating and severing the joint. I was surprised there was hardly any blood. And with the body divided into portable bits, it would be a lot easier and less obvious to carry across town. On the Chiswick High Road, I went to Woolworths and bought four sets of plastic sheets and three reels of string. I got some newspaper, one of several old copies of the Evening Standard he kept in his sitting room to light the fire. 
and I used these to wrap them up. Not a single second of this was a well-thought-out ploy to cunningly throw off the detectives of his scent. It was simply that, as bodies ooze as they decompose, it didn't take an expert to know that he had to wrap them, as he could smell it. Saturday the 4th of January 1969 8 a.m. Chiswick Out of the front door of Kendall Villas, Alec dragged the first bag, which contained her torso. As a small, weak man with a disabled back, with the bag being as big as a 20-kilo sack of coal, but weighing 10 kilos more, even that was a mission for him to carry. I just about managed to carry it up Sutton Lane, but I had to put it down four times as it was too heavy. So instead of getting the tube, I stopped a taxi. Where to, Gov? Uh, Victoria Station, please. Righto. Blimey, you're not packing light. Where are you going? Anywhere nice? But the truth was, Alec hadn't decided. With Mitchum a washout, having only briefly looked at the transport map for the largest patch of green he could see, he had chosen Ashton Woods. Oh, nice. You got relatives, sir? Um, yeah. Sort of. As a gentleman, Alec chatted to the driver, tipped him a shilling, and wished him a pleasant day. As he dragged the large and wieldy bag onto the concourse of Victoria Station. It may seem strange that nobody batted an eyelid, not even the constables on duty, and the profusely sweating man struggling to drag a body-sized bag across one of London's busiest stations in broad daylight. But then, everyone had a bag which was fit to burst. With the legs alone weighing 18 kilos, the same as half of a bag of cement, and the arms the length of two cricket bats, and adding an extra five kilos to the load. Just those trips to the station took him the rest of the day and knackered him out. And with the flat still needing to be cleaned. Along with the head, he stashed the torso and the limbs in the left luggage lockers, as tomorrow he would bury them. Saturday the 5th of January 1969, 7am, Victoria Station. Mercifully, the snow had stopped, but with the ground still rock hard, he strapped the spade onto the side. Dragging the bag to the florist's booth, he then bought a bunch of red roses, but he didn't board the train to Leatherhead. Having done a little more research, I found a bus which ran direct to Ashton Woods. 
I got a taxi from Victoria Station to Hyde Park Corner, and I asked for a ticket to the Leatherhead Golf Course. Sat on board of a Green Line bus for 90 minutes. As he often did, he was pleasant with anyone who spoke to him. As in the wreck, he stashed the bulging bag containing a torso and hopped off at Paxham Park. With the road quiet and the golf course empty, I waited for the bus to go and then dragged it behind some bushes and covered it with branches. Being on the cusp of a dense and impenetrable wood with no houses in sight, having wrapped it in a discarded hessian sack, he knew for now it would be safe. By noon, he returned to Victoria Station to collect the bag of limbs from the locker and repeated the journey from Hyde Park to Packisham Park. By then, it was getting dark. I dug a grave, which sapped his energy and left his back raw, as with the soil as solid as bricks and the hole crisscrossing with tree roots. He couldn't bury the torso as deep as he wanted to, so each grave was far too shallow. And besides, who would search for a dead woman's body in a dense wood? No one. Except maybe a hungry fox. With the sunlight beginning to fade, and the burial almost complete, as he had already done twice that day, Alec busted back to Victoria Station to collect the final piece of Eleanor's essence, her head. Clutching the key, as he turned the handle to locker 424, it gave a satisfying click as it unlocked. But as he opened it, his heart raced. The box wasn't there. The locker was empty. And the head was gone. It was the right locker at the right station, and he had the right key. So the only logical answer was that someone had opened it and had taken the box. But who? The police? I didn't know what to do. And although he panicked that perhaps a detective was watching him and was ready to pounce, the answer was staring him in the face. As above his head was a large sign which read, 24-hour locker. It had been there for three days, so station staff had cleared it out that morning. And with the decapitated head either being examined by Scotland Yard or not, I decided after all of this, I had to go through with it. So going to Lost Property, he explained his situation. He apologized. 
He paid the fine, and he got the box back. No one had checked inside or even queried its weight, and with the package already starting to smell, they were just happy to get rid of it. By that time, it was well into the evening, and with the city gripped by a bitterly cold darkness and the buses to Pakistan Park having stopped, Alec caught the train to Yule, but with no taxis there to give him a lift. I walked in the direction I assumed was to the woods, and it took three hours until I reached the road. Cold, aching, and exhausted, I buried the head. It broke the spade, and I threw it away. I planted some red roses with the box. Into a tree, I remember cutting the letter N, as in Nora. Only this wasn't a clue to torment the police, but a memorial to the woman he loved. Back home, I tried to clean the carpet. It was too bloody, so I cut it out and threw it away, as well as the hacksaw into a metal disposal truck near Sutton Lane. Miraculously, even though he had no idea what he was doing, through a little bit of planning and a meticulous mind, somehow he had gotten away with murder. January 1969, Chiswick. When the neighbors asked, Alec told them, she finally left me. Which nobody queried, as it was just nice not to hear her nagging. So most evenings, this quiet little man sat in, reading a book. He said the same to his colleagues, and with her no longer stalking him, the officer's mood improved. And as the staff at Latvia House knew him, having paid Nora's outstanding bill, they gave him her stuff and cleared out room 16. With at least the last decade of his life being loveless, he admitted he enjoyed the newfound freedom of being a single man. And in June, at a dance at the Hammersmith Palais, he met a girl called Denise Abbott. They dated, they fell in love, and by the August, she had moved into Kendall Villas, and they lived happily together. And with Nora no longer there to scoff at him, he rekindled his relationship with his daughter, Linda. He had a new life now, with new loves, hopes and dreams. So with no need of reminders of the life he once had, as the memory of her faded as fast as her skull in the shallow grave, telling his loved ones she didn't want the gifts I gave her, her dresses, her shoes, her rings and her fur coat were all given away. And with no one reporting her missing, 
as even the police had a long list of dates she had vanished without a trace, only to return when and if she wanted to. She wasn't seen as lost, just absent. But although she had disappeared from Alec's life, Nora was always present in his mind. In his diary, for Sunday the 29th of December 1969, a year after her death, he wrote, Anniversary. I think very much about N and how it happened. Nightmares. As with a hole still cut in the carpet under the twin beds, as a never-ending reminder of what he had done, Dr. Stracy prescribed him sleeping pills. Alec just wanted to get on with his life. But although she was dead, Nora still taunted him. Sunday the 29th of August 1971, two and a half years later and 16 miles south. As the greenkeeper's hut is close to the 10th hole bunker, said Norman Stones, I finished up my duties at 7.40am. I raked it over and on the front crest of the centre of the bunker, I found a bone. Stripped of meat, and freshly dug from a shallow grave. It was the first of many that would alert the police. On Thursday the 2nd of September 1971, the news story went national, reporting, two rings of the vital clue that may identify a woman whose hand and forearm were found at Leatherhead Golf Course. He hadn't removed the rings as it hadn't occurred to him to do so. But with the police now hunting her killer, again Alec cleaned the flat. And this time, with his landlady's permission, he had the carpet replaced. The police were closing in, and he knew it. On Saturday the 13th of December 1971, at 5.55pm, Alec and Denise were sat in the sitting room of Kendall Villas, watching ITV. As a short public service programme after the early evening news, Police 5 was a five-minute long appeal by the police, hosted by Shaw Taylor. The episode was about a woman's body found at Leatherhead. Denise told Alec, I thought it could have been Nora. As she knew that Nora had left him, but hadn't returned for almost three years. That the description matched her details. That the artist's sketch looked oddly familiar to the photos she'd seen of her. As did the amberstone necklace of hers, which Alec had given to her. 
but Alec denied this. With the rings and the dental records leading detectives to Mansfield, even his own family queried if the killer was him. With Linda stating, My mother asked us whether we thought Alec was capable of such a crime, and she said not, as he's just too docile. Having ruled out their most likely suspect, her violent ex-husband, Alexander Essens, the police's next and only prime suspect was the man who last saw her alive. But with no evidence against him, and being meek, moral, and a gentleman, if it was him, they would need to spook him into making a mistake. On Thursday the 18th of November, the press announced, An alert went out to all ports and airports to look for a man. The police want to help them with their inquiries. That day, Detective Constable Gray kept surveillance on Alec as he left his office on Poland Street in Soho, went to the King's Head pub on Gerald Street, where unusually for such a sober man, he drank two whiskies. In Leicester Square, he brought a newspaper, looking at each page slowly. And at a pawnbroker's in Newport Court, he tried to sell Norva's watch. With him suitably nervous, the next day, Friday the 19th, the newspapers reported, The woman, whose dismembered body was found at Leatherhead Golf Course, was named as Eleonora Essence. She lived in Mansfield until 1965 and then moved to London where inquiries are being concentrated. On hearing that, a monster would have fled. But having lived with the pain of his actions for the last three years, Alec could not. In the afternoon, Alec walked into West End Central Police Station and voluntarily gave a statement. Initially, they weren't entirely the truth, as in his eyes, he hadn't committed a murder. With his flat at Kendall Villas, examined by a forensics team, a fingerprint found on a bowl in the cupboard confirmed Nora's ID. But with no traces of blood, there was no evidence of a murder at the flat. In fact, as a Latvian refugee, who was still traumatized by the war. Hidden behind his radio, he had a fully working and loaded pistol. So if he had wanted to kill her, he could have shot her. Only he didn't. On the 11th of January 1972, Alec was charged with Nora's murder in a risky strategy by the police to make him confess as they knew that their evidence against him was purely circumstantial. They had no witnesses, no blood, no fingerprints, no weapon, no motive, and no crime scene for the murder. He hadn't fled, bragged, or financially benefited from her death. And just as no one could recall him in Victoria Station, Leatherhead, or Ashton Woods, 
except for the little drinks party in their landlady's flat on Christmas Day. No one had seen Nora. So she could have left of her own accord, as Alex had said. The case against Alec Yannick's was about to collapse. But it was his own conscience which had already convicted him. Plagued by nightmares, and the knowledge that, still loving her, he had denied her a proper burial. The next day, speaking to Detective Superintendent Sheming, Alec confessed, I've been thinking it over, and I've decided I should tell you what did happen. I killed her. She was horrible to me. In the interview room of Dorking Police Station, he confessed, I only wanted to knock her unconscious, not to kill her. Tried in court four of the Old Bailey from Monday the 2nd to Friday the 7th of July 1972. Alexander Yannix pleaded not guilty to murder. Given the evidence, he admitted to killing Eleonora Essence, dismembering her body, and burying them in three shallow graves. But with Basil Wigador QC arguing a defense of extreme provocation, having retired for 90 minutes, the jury returned with a unanimous verdict of guilty of manslaughter but provocation. With Justice Swanick summing up, despite the circumstances of provocation, you used a terrible weapon which happened to come to hand. Had you thought about it, I think you could have overpowered her. But hindsight is a wonderful thing. And besides, this wasn't the culmination of one fight which got out of hand, but the end of 12 years of persistent abuse humiliation and assault. On the 12th of July, 1972, 44-year-old Alexander Leonard Yannix was sentenced to three years in prison and having quietly served a little over two years, owing to good behaviour, he was released in 1975. Having walked free from Wormwood Scrubs Prison, Prisoner 105197 disappeared from the police records. And going on to live a good life in Hornsey, 87-year-old Alec died in November 2014. Whereas a meticulous little man, the rest of his life had revolved around the things that he loved. His family, his work, and his books. Hey. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. How would you like to look 5 years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Oh, 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 oh. Take your little hat off. There we go. Oh, and then you can enjoy the full surround sound of the parakeets. They've been quiet all day. And then I just press record and then a big flock of the little green bastards turned up and decided to go. <laughs> as they do. Oh, shoot them. Anyway, welcome to Extra Mile. The unscripted, unedited bit. Blah, blah, blah. For new people, why... I, I still have to say this, like we're 240 episodes in. I still have to, cause sometimes people start at the end. Uh, but if you're starting on part four of Meticulous, what are you doing? Why? You've got three episodes. None of this will make sense. Uh, or it'll ruin everything. And you, uh, Anyway, anyway. So, uh, well, this bit we do some chat. We do some quiz questions. Uh, I fill you in on some details in the case. Uh, and then I uh, bugger off to the coffee shop, which I'm going to do shortly. So let me just... Uh, let me just... I'm going to have a, a tea today. There we go. I'm just going to pop on my tea. Uh, well, it's not really tea. It's a... Uh, it's, uh, black coffee trying to get back on my uh, my diet again because uh i didn't exactly balloon but you know things like that uh so what's going on while we're waiting for the tea to 
the water to brew. Uh, PCAG popped by the other day. But police guys were Arsenal Guinness and the Metropolitan Blood. So thank you very much, Police Constable Arsenal Guinness. That was great. We we recorded three new episodes of New Blue, which is good fun. It's lovely to love to see PCAG again. I haven't seen him in ages. Well. November, but that's ages. That's ages, uh, and we had fun. Uh, I lured him in. It's like it's like a donkey with a carrot. I have to lure him in with high quality burgers with halloumi and some uh, some icy cold Guinnesses. If you need PCAG to do something, high quality burgers with halloumi and Guinness. That's what you do. That's what you do. So that was good. So thank you, PCAG. Um, those episodes will be coming out probably July-ish. I'm I'm away on holiday in July, as mentioned last week. So I'm going to put them out that week. So therefore. Therefore, I can, you know, those episodes are done. I'd have to, I'd have to think about doing stuff, which is great. It gives me a little bit of breathing space to do research as well. What else is going on tomorrow? I'm heading off to a mate's party, a mate's fiftieth birthday, uh, and the dress code is distressed elegance. Yeah, did 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 you just cock your head to the side and go what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Distressed elegance. No idea. I've got a feeling it's going to be. I'm going to turn up, and it will make sense when I get there because I've googled it and I don't really understand. I think I know roughly what it is, but I've got a feeling I'll turn up there. And my mate, whose who's party is, I'll turn up and I'll see his costume and I go, ah, okay. So you had so you had the costume already sorted first, and then you thought. This is should be the thing. It's, it's like when you go to a party and you, you, someone someone goes, yeah, they're specific, and they go, yeah, yeah. Um, the theme is uh, mid nineteen uh, mid nineteen eighties uh, sci fi violent sci fi movies, and you go, oh god, that really narrows it down. And then and then you turn up and they they've splashed out on fifteen thousand uh, pound brand new RoboCop outfit with all their and you go, ah, oh, okay, that's why that's why so yeah we'll see i, I it's, it's tomorrow and normally for fancy dress i would be well prepared for this but i've spent the last two weeks because we're two weeks now um trying to work out what it is i've no idea what distressed elegance is i think i'm gonna have to invent a t-shirt and and uh, it's it's one of those things where you can't even make a joke out of it i can't i can't even yeah anyway I'll work it out. I'll work it. I've got until tomorrow, so uh, I think I think I know roughly what I might do. Um, uh, don't forget, um, uh, if you are a patron subscriber, um, each week, so on a Thursday when this episode goes out, I do bad nanometers, which is a, a little like ten fifteen minute episode that goes out, and I read you things that you won't get anywhere else some real like um witness statements or autopsy reports or things like that which help you with the case so uh, and they're, they're a bit of good fun so i i hope i hope you're enjoying that and that's for everyone on patreon so um doesn't matter what tier you're on that that's that's a new freebie for everyone so i hope you're all enjoying it um what else is going on by the time this goes out it will be my birthday happy birthday me will Eva have got me a present no will she give me some time off work no uh, she'll probably add on some duties for me but uh, uh thank you to pcag he helped me work out what year i am uh what age i am because uh i thought i was a year older than i was but i'm, I'm not so uh because he's an, a year older than me uh he was able to go no, you're, you must be this age now. And I was like, oh, I didn't know. So uh, that's great. So a birthday present to me is that I gained a year or or I'm not as old as I thought I was going to be. So uh, there we go. Uh, let, let's do the quiz questions. We might have to stop halfway through. Oh, no, hang on. Let's 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 stop my stop my uh, kettle brewing now, because as we all know, I don't I don't end up drinking all of it. Yeah, that's yeah, I do. That's not. There we go. 
in my in my plastic oh plastic recycle i just almost tripped over your little hat uh, uh i almost uh i use my little recyclable uh starbucks mug i even use it at home because it's a thermal one it holds the heat really nicely so uh there we go god michael your life is so exciting right let's do some quiz questions uh don't forget answers at the end so question number one where was alec coming from uh when he left the train at victoria station so when he was coming into victoria station on the train where he was where was he coming from question number two what was the locker number that the head was stored in at victoria station question number three what was the name of the company that he worked for Question number four, why couldn't he dig a hole first? So when he first tried to get rid of the head, why couldn't he dig a hole? That's what the question should have been. Question number five, why did he, uh, where did, question number five, where did he buy the plastic sheeting from? Question number six, how heavy were Nora's legs? You can't just say very, you have to give it to me in kilos. Question number seven, what type of bus, i.e. the brand of the bus, took him to Ashton Woods? Question number eight, what bus stop did he get off at to bury the body? Question number nine, how long was the TV show Police 5? And question number ten, who hosted Police 5? So there we go, there we go. Uh, so the locker, the locker, we'll dive into some extra stuff. So the, the, the locker, uh, at Victoria station, uh, we're kind of just, as you come in through the front entrance, they're just to the right hand side. There was loads of them there. They weren't manned. These weren't ones where you had to go in and speak to someone. They were the ones where you put, you put some money in. Uh, at this point it would have been a shilling. So you put a shilling in, you turn it, you get the key, the key, uh, you put your thing in you turn the locker and then you take the key with you and it's 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 valid as we saw in this episode for 24 hours so that was um that was the problem is that i can't remember the, the exact date of it would have been the second so he um he put the head in the locker on the thursday and then he took it out on the sunday uh, and that's the problem is it's a 24 hour locker and they're, they're quite I don't know how they do it but they're quite strict with it they're able to see um how long it was being used for but um he wanted to get rid of the head this was one of the statements that I put in there he wanted to get the head he wanted to get rid of first uh because he said he felt it was evil someone's banging outside uh utter bastard at least it's at least it's not the parakeets utter bastards yeah um so that was the thing he because she was lying on the floor and because her eyes were still partly open so you could see in the, the statement later on that he closed her eyes her eyes are still open so um when he goes into the bedroom she's there lying on the floor dead but her eyes are still open so i.e still looking at him so he so it kind of terrified him so that was the thing that he wanted to get rid of first was was her, uh, her head therefore she's not looking at him uh you kind of see that quite a few times with uh various murders that uh, sometimes if they murder someone they will cover over the head uh, so the person is not not still looking at them um he uh, i'll read part of his statement uh this was uh, friday the third so um this is after he'd done the head and then he came back he said i cut up the rest of the body i started with the legs for some reason i wanted to preserve the body i don't know why 
I went to and bought four sets of plastic bags. It was actually sheeting, uh, string as well. I went home after work and started with the legs. I drank the remains of the vodka. I cut up the legs and wrapped them in plastic. I got some newspaper and used it to wrap them up. Then I must have cut the arms off. I was surprised there was hardly any blood. Uh, I put the legs and arms in the blue grip, but the torso was too big. Oh, lovely. What a, what a, what a delightful day you must have had. So, uh, yeah, of course, there would, there would be very little blood because she's already started to decompose. But she, uh, everything was starting to um, con- uh, decompose, so, she, so she's oozing already. So that... Um, with the carpet on the floor, um, even though he'd he'd killed her in the the live the sitting room, because he immediately kind of moved her to the bedroom uh, on the carpet in between their two beds, and then he moved the beds together so he didn't have to kind of see her anymore because there were twin beds. Um, she lay there for a couple of days because, as mentioned in the episode, uh, he he didn't touch her for four days because he didn't know what to do. He was kind of all over the shop. Um, he. Um, so therefore she's oozing and kind of blood and fluids are kind of seeping into the carpet there. Uh, obviously it didn't seep into anywhere below because below there is uh, the cellar that he did. He only partially had access to. Um, and uh, therefore when he started to get rid of the body, there'd also be fluids getting on the carpet then, but they'd also seeped in. So uh, that's why initially he cut out that piece of carpet and, uh, and uh, I think at one point they, they said he used part of the carpet, he flipped it over and used it in the kitchen, but then he decided to get rid of it into a kind of a, a passing uh, recycling, not a recycling truck, but a kind of a refuse truck. He threw it in there and then he convinced his landlady. It was a new landlady, landlady by that point, Mrs. Dr. Street, she, Stracy had moved on and it was a new landlady. So because um, cause it had been, a, a the carpet was a little bit worn, a little bit old and he t- he turned around to her and he just said, Look, we've had this carpet a long time. It's getting a bit worn out. Um, I he'd given a deposit, and it was I think it was like fifteen quid. He said, "Is there any way uh, I can use the deposit? Give you some money towards it. You put a bit as well because it is your house, and we get a new carpet." And she was like, "Yeah, it's not a problem at all." So she didn't find it unusual at all. Uh, so therefore, the carpet got entirely disposed of, uh, and because because it, it had been three years, and he'd spent. A lot because he's a meticulous person. He spent a lot of time cleaning up, and because the the area was concentrated from where he'd killed her and where he'd cut her up. Obviously, by the time the forensic team, well, it's not, they weren't called forensics then. They were the scientific department. By the time they came in, there was nothing. There was no blood that they could find, not even a drop. He'd he'd really gone over it thoroughly. Obviously, today they probably could have gone in and used all their fancy stuff and found traces because there's always traces, but. Not in uh, 1972. Uh, the Blue Grip Holdall, the police managed to track that down. Uh, it was made by uh, Morris Wakeley uh, of L. Lawrence Limited in Kettering. We don't quite know how uh, Alec managed to get access to that bag. Maybe it was just one he found in the street or something like that. But that was one of the Blue Grip bags that he found. That was, I think that was the slightly larger one that he had to put put uh gnawing because her torso was too big what's that hmm, something just fell um as it as said in 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 the episode he said i managed to carry up chiswick high road which was the arms and legs uh same with the torso um uh he ha- had to put it down th- three or four times because it was a real struggle to carry it up the street hence he decided to get a taxi 
Um, in order to do this episode, I worked out her her height and her weight, and then I individually had to go through and work out uh, how much each body part was because it wasn't in the episode. And because he's because a big piece of this was about him carrying the body parts and really struggling with it, I, I really wanted to work out how heavy they were and how much they would be, and then and then put them in reference in order to you know. Um, I think one of them was uh, the equivalent of a bag of potatoes and, and another one was half half a bag of cement. So that kind of puts it in context, even if you don't know kilos and, and pounds and stuff like that. Uh, as mentioned, uh, the reason why he he chose Leatherhead Golf Course was entirely arbitrary. He, he said um, uh, he was literally looking for the biggest expanse of an open area uh, on the London transport map. Uh, initially he looked for a local one which is why uh he went kind of south of the water but quite close and then uh he he, he saw kind of epsom forest uh ashdown woods and because he used to live in cheam cheam is not too far away so it's kind of an area that he, he wasn't super familiar with but he kind of knew that it was quite an expanse uh carrying the hold also uh, obviously there's hold all two I, I didn't put this in the episode but um he actually had to repeat use the hold all so the hold all that he used for the torso so he delivered the torso first uh and then he put it in a hessian sack so the hessian sack he'd found in the woods it was random that's why the police thought oh is this to throw us off no he just literally he needed the, the uh larger carrier bag because it was kind of better for kind of carrying heavy goods in so he removed the torso he put it in a hessian back that uh, pack uh, that would kind of disguise it and then he hid it in some bushes and then that's when he went and collected the arms and the legs and he could put that in the larger hold all as well which was um they weren't buried in that police actually managed to work out later on he said he'd taken it to a second hand dealer in the spring of 1969 just off Prade Street uh, they managed to track it down they didn't find the bag but they managed to track it down to a shop called Knickknack on Bouvier Road in Paddington and although they had no uh, record of it uh, they said it's most likely that this is the kind of thing that we would have bought so yeah they were kind of happy with that uh, that that's where it had gone there was lots of pieces of evidence that didn't exist anymore because don't forget th- almost three years have passed but you know you can only do so much um the head missing in the locker that was a a, a bit of bit of a shocker for him uh he said uh then i just decided to check if the locker was still there and it wasn't uh, so for a moment i didn't know what to do i decided after all of this i would go through with it i went to lost property I asked them about it. They they explained the rules as you do. Oh, yeah, well, it's only twenty four hours. And you put your shilling in, and you twenty four hours. If anything more than twenty four hours, we take it out. I am a job's worth. So uh, yeah. So, uh, um, but they they obviously they didn't check the content. It, it's not really the thing, is it? It's like, it's like if if your job is looking after the lockers and things you don't kind of open up every bag and go Ooh. also it's not your not your property so they have to wait a period of time until it becomes uh, classified as lost property but by that point it's just it's not lost property it's someone's property that they just haven't quite collected yet which i'm sure at train stations happens all the time they probably get if you have 100 lockers i bet there's probably five or six a day that it's they're like oh another another asshole who can't read the signs um but yeah so so he i mean he could have got caught out then but he didn't i guess if he would have come back a couple of days later 
and it would have smelt more they probably would have got started investigating it but they were just happy to get rid of the box and the box turned out to be the head lovely 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 uh what else have we got roses uh police were able to track down um there was evidence of roses there but they worked out that the the in the grave was a polythene flower wrapper marked with hortico limited uh which which they found in grave two which i believe was the torso uh, and this came from a company called j and e page limited of Covent garden uh problem was they confirmed that uh, this kind of wrapping was used right across the country so it wasn't specific to one thing but they did say that it is they do service uh, victoria station so uh, he would have got the flowers from there and alec did he confirmed this later on um the bus i've forgotten all what the quiz questions are now so if, if i balls them up don't worry about it um don't forget that during that day um it this is why we mention all about the weather in the first episode because it's kind of key the fact that it was that it had been a really hard frost and that's how they were able to work out where the uh where the burial had happened because it was the it was at the start of the non-growing period which is when when a frost really kicks in plants do not grow anymore they just kind of go into their own hibernation so that the, the uh, uh, a forestry pathologist was able to pin it down to kind of end of uh december of 1968 and when they kind of looked at the weather it was kind of the, a hard frost had kicked in at that point and then for the first time in ages and people who live in britain know that we haven't had a, a white christmas in a long time and we probably never will um so therefore um that christmas was the ground was hard but it was also snow covered as well um, by the time he started to bury the bodies the bodies uh the ground was incredibly hard it started to rain a little bit so the snow was going but it was still hard underneath which is why it was a real, real nightmare to dig down uh but yeah he, he it's it's funny that that he 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 moved all of the parts of the body to victoria station i think he just wanted to get the body out of his house so he couldn't get wouldn't get caught but it does kind of expose him quite a lot carrying it across town and being seen to go into a station and carrying big parcels but weirdly no no one batted an eyelids at all i think i think just because he's kind of an innocent looking guy he's quite sweet he's got a little suit on he looks like a bookworm therefore no one really no one really went oh look there's a man carrying part of a dead body do you know i guess if he would have been shifty looking and lots of tattoos and you know a scar across his face and a and a, a t-shirt saying oh look i'm a serial killer then someone would have gone oh call the police but you know he just looked like a guy who was going on holiday so no one really paid much attention uh what else have we got so uh, he, uh so yes uh he moved all of the stuff to the train station but then with a little bit of research he was like oh, hang on um if he would have got the train from victoria uh, apparently the train uh, he could have got the train to leatherhead station because leatherhead station was open but the problem is it's like a two mile walk after that or you can get a taxi but he doesn't really say this but i think in his mind he what he didn't want to do was get a taxi because then someone will be like oh you're a random guy and you want to you've got a big bag and you want to go to a really really random place in the middle of nowhere and you just want me to drop you off really it just doesn't make any sense so he kind of looked at the map and he's like oh there's a there's a direct bus from high park corner down to uh ashton 
uh, Ashton Woods um, right next to the golf course. So, do you know, that makes more sense. It really does. I said he said, he said I, I, I got off the bus, I waited for it to go, and then I dragged the heavy hold all along a kind of a path. I didn't put this in the episode. It was near to an old battered car. So by the side of the road, there was an old battered car, and he knew at that point you go there and then you take you take a left into the woods and then he would find where he'd stashed everything else because don't forget this is a really dense forest full of bushes it's when you look at the pictures it's it's hard to walk through it's like this is why it took them a couple of days to find the shallow graves which were only a couple of yards apart it's because it's so dense it really is impossibly dense and he so he picked a good place to kind of bury the bodies but he you know he really should have gone in deeper 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 and uh if he could have done physically he could have buried them deeper but that i guess that was part of the problem wasn't it uh yeah what else we got what else we got um won't do that second trip we've got that quiz questions i don't want to give those away uh as mentioned yeah he, he i think um, he he um he got the spade from cutlers which was a um a hardware store in, on brewer street in soho um so it's not too far away from where his office is because his office is on uh poland street which which doesn't quite but almost intersects with brewer street you know give or take like one street so uh yeah he um he, he kind of knew this place and of course you know he's not a suspicious man he just walked in and said ah oh, can I buy a spade please don't forget it's winter uh yeah it's winter time so people would have thought people wouldn't thought oh it's weird there's a man buying a spade and it's winter what gardening is he doing they're probably thinking he's clearing the drive something like that something simple or digging the car out in kind of winter so do you know they they um oh, they didn't have the spade they couldn't find it even he threw it into the woods and they they were never able to find it but uh because he told them where uh what hardware store he went to uh they were able to go there and get examples of it and then they took them when he was finally arrested and confessed they took the versions of a spade back to him and he was able to say it was that one it was that type of spade but they never found the spade so um he did a lot of that when 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 he finally confessed he sat down with them and went through everything he could point stuff out and said yep that was the clothes she was wearing that's the jewelry you know he was he was once he decided that he wanted to be 100% honest about it, uh, that kind of did him in good stead. And I guess it did him in good stead in in in, in full as well, because you, even though the police didn't have enough evidence, there is there is enough cases out there of, of police being able to convict someone even though a body hasn't been found. So this could have got to, this could, I mean, maybe unlikely he could have got to the point but do you know if it would have gone to court and he would have still been there going no i'm entirely innocent i had nothing to do with it and then they pull out some evidence proving that he did do it do you know maybe there was someone who did see them uh but never came forward or just never put the pieces together do you know maybe um that could have been detrimental to him in his court case but because he was there in court he was like yeah I, I killed it and this is why I, I cut the body this is why I buried the body this is why um yeah it's um I think it, I, I think because he's quite a sympathetic character as well they could see that he was quite henpecked and put upon and really beaten down by her and physically beaten and don't forget they were able to go to 
the uh, various hospitals as well who treated him for wounds uh, committed by Nora on him and also his uh, his work colleagues as well and people who knew him kind of, you know, it's her sitting in his office glaring at him and, and be, being nasty to kind of any woman who comes near him. You know, quite a possessive woman. So, uh, yeah, I, I think there was a lot of evidence against her, even though she couldn't, Nora couldn't kind of stand her ground in court because she was dead. I think there was a lot of, lot of evidence against her, even though, even though she is the victim in this case, although technically he is a victim as well. So, uh, which is which is why I found this case really uh, fascinating. It's it starts with a, that's what I wanted to do with the, with the police saying it's a monster or a monster. I wanted to give you all the evidence, so you kind of go, oh, well, it must be a serial killer. It must be someone who knows what they're doing. They must have. They must be violent. They must be uh, skilled as a butcher, or you know, kind of all these theories that people come up with because they want it to always want it to be more exciting than it normally is but when you start getting into the story and you start realizing that kind of she's quite nasty and really violent and even though she's running from a violent past as well she's violent to him so it's kind of perpetuating and he's you know maybe at one point he may have you know um I don't think he would have ever killed her. I don't think. I think. I think he just snapped. I think it was just too much. Even even w- with some of his statements, he even says that because he wanted this to end amicably, he because she she'd already at this point started saying that she was going to leave him. So he wasn't really pushing it at that point because he was like, well, do you know, if she leaves, then therefore I don't have to break up with her. Therefore, that makes it easier for me. But as as we read in one of the earlier statements, he just wanted it to be amicable. He, if they could end as friends, that's good. He didn't want all this upset. Therefore, he actually helped her move into Latvia house. So that's why they kind of knew him there because he'd, he'd actually been to a party there before with her. So he knew Latvia house. They knew him. Don't forget, he speaks Latvian as well because he is Latvian. Um, therefore. Kind of, and people kind of liked him as well so given the fact that the relationship was coming to an end kind of he kind of wants that to happen he's being amicable because he doesn't he doesn't want her to stay in kind of a like a hostel over christmas he's just being nice and saying look it's your birthday christmas eve come on round to mine stay for a couple of days over christmas he's going to be by himself anyway and he, he's kind of hoping it will be amicable and nice but she's just she's still nasty she's still being a bit of a nasty bitch about this and really treating him badly and being violent towards him and i think it was just after 12 13 years you can only take so much and he just snapped and he just just like that so uh yeah uh what else have we got what else have we got um so yeah the the him carving the n into a tree so of course that wasn't to deflect the police and make them go oh is it a clue no it's just he wasn't really thinking about it he was upset he was emotional he'd killed the woman he loved he buried her body he knew it was the wrong thing to do he wasn't given her a proper grave therefore he bought the flowers therefore he carved a kind of a little initial as kind of a reminder to him and kind of a memorial to her as you would do on a grave but that was it it wasn't it wasn't anything cleverer than that and even even the way he kind of did all this we kind of set up at the start that it's kind of oh look at look how clever it is and oh and he, he was only caught because foxes got hungry do you know as you've seen with his story 
a lot of mistakes, but a lot of mistakes because he's not experienced in this. He's not, he doesn't spend all of his time going, oh, dead bodies, oh, how would you cut them up? But, you know, he's he's obsessed with, if this was an air crash or something like that, he would be the most useful person in that whole plane of, of all those people because of his knowledge. But anything else in the world, just not of any use at all, really. Um, Getting rid of some of the stuff. So the... um. The amber neck necklace that had been, as far as I can see, oh no, there are a couple of necklaces. So one necklace was given to his daughter. Um, the watch, he tried to part exchange it at a jeweller's in 18 Newport Court. So it's just after he was reading the newspaper and he was seen by the um, uh, the detective who was uh, keeping a surveillance on him. It was seen him going into this secondhand place. Uh, he knew... The guy who ran it, a guy called uh, Gulaban Shah, who knew Alex, I wanted to exchange it. Uh, he wanted to exchange the watch um, so he could buy something nice for his new girlfriend, who was Denise Abbott. Uh, uh, and he doesn't... doesn't uh, he kind of knew Alex, uh, Alec, because uh, Alec would often call into his shop to buy kind of special stamps and things like that, because he's a stamp collector as well, obviously. He's obsessed with aircraft. He likes stamps as well. Uh, so uh, Denise got one of Nora's rings. Uh, her, his daughter got quite a few of her possessions. Her daughter was kind of... His daughter was like an a 19, 18, 19-year-old 19 student by that point. So obviously she hasn't got... She hasn't got nice clothes. She hasn't got things that she really wants. And because... Uh, Nora had nice expensive clothes she was more than happy to accept them you know second hand clothes from a woman who's not not dead you don't think of her as dead but like uh, as Alec had said she, these were presents that I gave her she didn't want me anymore she didn't want the presents she left them here I don't want them you can have them so uh, and he, he repeated the, the story that she's gone off with a rich Greek boyfriend so because she'd done that so many times before and gone missing all the time Everyone just kind of accepted that. Uh, didn't put this in the story. It was something I was going to put in there. But um, um, one of the witnesses in the court case uh, was going to be Denise Abbott, so his girlfriend. And she was called into court as a witness. But the problem is it had become so traumatic for her, even though she'd she really loved Alec and they really got on really well. With the evidence coming forward of the, of the fact... And uh, with, the, with the fact that he'd already admitted in court that he'd killed her and he cut up her body and he buried her. When she went to give evidence, she screamed and ran out of the court and and they couldn't get her back because she was absolutely frantic. Uh, so in a lot of the news, case, news reports, that's what they focus on, is wo woman screams from court. That's the kind of the big thing that they pick up, pick up on. But uh, so, yeah, so in the end, she didn't have to give evidence, but she'd already given a witness statement, which we partially read in the episode, so... Uh, uh, so that uh, that was used in evidence. Uh, as was the diary. He had two diaries, one in Latvian, one in English. They translated the Latvian one, and they saw in there where it said anniversary. Think very much about. I think very much about N about how it all happened. Nightmares. So he's still suffering with anguish here. Uh, one of the pieces I didn't put in the episode, uh, only because it ma it makes it sound sinister. But when you look into it, it's not that sinister. So. Um, he he kept a chart of all his his ex-girlfriends and his current girlfriends like Denise and Nora 
and the police found this and he'd marked the qualities of, of his girlfriend's one out of one to ten and Eleonora so Nora was ten for almost all of them like love life and uh, physical qualities uh, but then he drew up a list of there of, of all of the all of the negative things about there and a lot of it was kind of the lies and the nagging so that was on there as well but also uh, he kept her pubic hairs now that may seem really oh fuck he kept her pubic hairs he must be a serial killer but it's not when when i was kind of reading into this this is kind of an, an old latvian custom so if you get into a relationship with someone and you kind of love them then you 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 get that like a tuft of their pubic hairs and you keep it and that's kind of your thing um there was also references in the, i didn't put this in the episode either references to him having a homosexual relationship with a civil servant from the Ministry of Environment. That's in the police files as well, with them suggesting he may have had homosexual longings, but it it, it just didn't seem to make sense in the story. So um, I didn't put it in. So uh, so, sometimes things aren't necessary in there. I think I've overran on Extra Mile. I think I've waffled on a lot. So I'm going to do the quiz questions. Sorry if this was a long one. Uh, Ooh, uh... Let's do the quiz questions and then I can FRO to the coffee shop. Right. Question number one. Where was Alec coming from when he left the train at Victoria Station? It was Mitcham. Question number two. What was the locker number that the head was stored in? It was 424. Question number three. What was the name of the company he worked for? McDonald Publishing. Question number four, why couldn't he dig a hole first? Because um, the ground was too hard and he didn't have a spade. Question number five, where did he buy the plastic sheeting from? It was Woolworths. Question number six, how heavy were Nora's legs? They were 18 kilos. <sighs> Question number seven, what type of bus, i.e. brand of bus, took him to Ashton Woods? It was the Green Line. Question number eight, what bus stop did he get off at to bury the body? That's uh, Packersham Park. Question number nine, how long was the TV show Police Five? Well, the clue's in the title, five minutes. And question number ten, who hosted Police Five? It was Shaw Taylor. There you go, keep them peeled. So uh, that's it, folks. Hope you enjoyed that. That was uh, the final part, part four. Uh, next week will be a one-parter. I haven't quite decided which one yet, but they're all researched, so I'll just decide what suits it. Thank you for listening to the show. Have yourself a good week. Stay safe and be good. Lots of love, folks. Bye-bye. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.